Our first scripture reading this morning is found on page 1690, 1690, Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Our second reading is found on page 1644, 1644, Luke 24, 44 through 53. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their mind so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. I'm sure I speak for Tom and for Bill when I say we invite your prayers for us. We'll be heading down to Wildwood for the annual meeting of our annual conference today, and we'll conclude on Tuesday. So 
I enjoy a good meeting like I enjoy a root canal with no Novocaine. <laughs> so, so, pray for me that I <laughs> make it back in one piece. Bill and Tom, you're going to have to be like Aaron to my Moses. Hold my hands up. Hold my chair up. Keep, keep, us, keep us going there. Friends, let's pray this morning. Lord, we invite your presence here with us. It's here right now. But we say that you're welcome in this place, that you're welcome in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, change us and transform us in the way that only you can. For you know who we are down to the depths of our very being. Have your way with us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. These are some church bulletin bloopers. The peacemaking meeting scheduled for today has been canceled due to a conflict. (laughs) This is a great typo. Remember in prayer, the many who are sick in our community, smile at someone who is hard to love. Say hell to someone who doesn't care much about you. (laughs) Gotta have an O at the end of that. Don't let worry kill you off. Let the church help. (laughs) For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Next Thursday, there will be tryouts for the choir. They need all the help they can get. My goodness. At evening, this is no commentary on our choir. Trust me, this is for the other churches. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7 p.m. Please use the back door. And my favorite, Weight Watchers, will meet at 7 p.m. at the First Presbyterian Church. Please use the large double doors at the side entrance. (laughs) Well, today is Ascension Sunday, and we have to put on our theological thinking caps. So I thought it would be good to have a few laughs and lighten the mood before we dive deep into into our text for today. So here we are at the last Sunday of what's called Easter Tide. That's the great 50 days of Easter. As I've said before, Easter is not one day. Easter is 50 days from Easter Sunday up to Pentecost. Uh, corresponding to the, the 50 days and Jesus was, uh, his resurrected body when he met others, when he uh, compared to his disciples, reconciled with Peter, all those post-resurrection stories that we know. We hear those during the 50 days. And then next Sunday, we celebrate Pentecost. And today is Ascension Sunday, which sort of lays the groundwork, prepares the soil for Pentecost. We have a great encapsulation in the Gospel of Luke that Tammy just read for us, where Jesus really, in a couple of verses, Uh, 
shares his mission, his purpose. It goes all the way back to the Old Testament. The law and the prophets, they speak of me, the Messiah, that I would come, that I would die, that I would be resurrected, and then the Holy Spirit would come. First, he has to ascend. Now, Ascension Sunday, this is not, you know, like, Jesus isn't Mary Poppins, kind of with, you know, an umbrella kind of floating into the sky. It's not up, up, and away. How many of you, when maybe you were in high school or you were college, you read Plato's Republic? Told you we had to do some heavy lifting today to make sense of, make sense of ascension. I can get that out. Do you remember coming across uh, one of Plato's works when he talks about the figures who are chained in the cave? Is that starting to ring a bell to any of you? Sort of. Okay. They're chained in a cave. There's a fire behind them, and all they see are shadows on the wall. Then one of them escapes and leaves. And Plato understood that as a a metaphor, as a way of of describing earthly reality, of our our fleshly bodies and our existence. Um, That uh, we're kind of trapped in these bodies, and um, the ultimate sort of liberation is to escape. That is ultimate reality. The biblical witness stands really against that. Jesus appears. He has flesh, doesn't he? He eats fish. He has the wounds. The Christian tradition has always believed that, yes, you know, this world that we live in is marred by sin. There is so many things that happen around us that are not in God's will. But God still loves his creation. Our bodies are a good thing, not not something from which we just are waiting to be freed from. The resurrected Christ shows that. He redeems human bodies, human existence. He gives us hope for our own future. So bodies are a good thing. So how do we make sense then of Jesus' ascension? It just seems like the disciples are gathered with him. They have a conversation and then he floats away up into heaven. Maybe he's still up in in space somewhere. Let's try to get our minds around maybe what ascension is all about. Think of, um, this is not uh, an illustration that is original to me, but I think it's very helpful. Think of a circle or a triangle or a square. It's a two-dimensional object, right? What happens when you add some lines to a square on a page, what can you turn that into? A cube, which becomes what? Three-dimensional. You have a triangle, and perhaps you add some more lines to that, you can create a what? A pyramid. You have a circle, you can turn that into a sphere. This two-dimensional becomes three-dimensional. Now, in the process, has the square disappeared? It's been changed and transformed into something different. Its existence is still there, but it's changed, it's altered. Think, if you will, with me, and you've heard, if you've been here the last several weeks, you've heard these post-resurrection stories about Jesus. He comes to the disciples, and what does he do? He moves through a locked door. 
Now, we could try it, but I bet you if you locked that door, I could not move through it. I'm just, I think that's a safe assumption. Jesus is walking with Mr. and Mrs. Cleopas on the road to Emmaus. And for the longest time, they don't what? They don't recognize him. Something different. Yes, he's, he's, in, he's covered in flesh. He still has the wounds. But there's something about him that is unrecognizable. He's the same, but he's also different. Acts chapter 1 gives us, I love Luke, the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, both give us stories of the ascension. Jesus taking leave of his disciples and and going on into heaven. I love Acts version, what, what, what Luke records in the book of Acts. Think of it will be for a moment. Jesus has his disciples around him. And they are so focused on the two-dimensional, on this earthly plane, that they can't seem to grasp that the one before them, this eternal God, it doesn't mean that God is immortal like a vampire. God is not bound by the constraints of time and space as you and I are. He exists outside of that. And yet he limited himself and came into our world in the incarnation. And it is now, Jesus is going to go back into that realm, that reign of God, which includes but transcends just the earth. I told you this is a lot to get our minds around. So Jesus is there with his disciples. He's about to leave them. And you can almost sense their feelings. Is now the time? Now you're going to restore the kingdom. And if you go back into the gospel accounts, we understand that for many of the disciples, they understand that in this way. That the Messiah would come, would overthrow the Roman government, would reestablish the proper worship of God in the temple in Jerusalem, and Israel would be restored as this magnificent chosen people who would rule and reign with the Messiah. That's what they're expecting. Jesus responds, it's it's not for you to know the time or the place. Jesus ascends, returns into the eternal state. Scripture says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What that doesn't mean is that if we go up high enough into space, there are two chairs. There's God on one and the Son on the other. No. It's a military term. The person who sat at the right hand shared in the rule and the reign and would be the one who would then take the plans and execute them. So Jesus returns to share in the power and the glory and the reign of the triune God, which then allows for the Holy Spirit to come To us. That's a sermon for next Sunday on Pentecost. So Jesus ascends, and imagine, if you will, for a moment, we can almost see this jump off the pages of Acts chapter 1. The disciples are. Huh? Huh? They're standing there looking up and staring. 
And what does the angelic messenger say to them? What are you looking for? He's going to come back the same way he went. Go on. Go on. In Israel, there is a rock. Huge rock that tradition has is the rock upon which Jesus stood when he ascended. And there is an indentation in the top of that rock, which they say is when when he pushed off with his foot and left an indentation. Who knows? But I think that captures something for us. See, there seems to be this human quality, this human trait, to memorialize the thing. To find a physical place where supposedly maybe Jesus was, and to focus just on that. To stay still and keep staring. When Jesus commissioned those disciples and commissions us to be about his business, to not stand around, to not be so focused on what had been or what we hoped had been, that we can't see what God is calling us to do right here, right now. Friends, the ascension sets the stage for you and for me to move in the power of God. Jesus says, wait here and the Holy Spirit will come. will make you active and alive to be able to do the will of God in the world. And yet, how easy it is, even today, in this beautiful, comfortable building, to sort of adopt the attitude of those early disciples. To just kind of get comfortable. To sit around. To maybe expect Jesus, as the disciples so often did, to conform to their idea of what he should be like of what he should do. Over and over again, we see the disciples have these preconceived notions about the Messiah and that he should operate on their timetable. Do you remember the two disciples fighting and arguing over who would be the greatest in the kingdom? It's so focused on what they want and can't we sometimes get so focused on what we want? that we have failed to allow ourselves to be so moved by and pushed out of what's comfortable by the ascended Lord who has promised us his spirit that we're just no good for anybody. Friends, the church, and we're really going to delve into this next week, the church is a powder keg. A spark can set us off. To change the world. Yet too often we sit around and we look up. We look up. We get lost. Or we expect Jesus to work on our timetable when he's calling us to get on board with what he's doing. To set aside our preconceived notions. And to allow him to define us. Not the other way around. 
men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into heaven? Same Jesus, with Jesus that you saw go up, the same manner he will come back. And what does Jesus tell his disciples? In Luke, go back to the city and wait, and you're going to receive power. And then you'll be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, and then into Judea, Samaria, and then the outermost parts of the earth. In other words, your mission is not just to one group of people. It's to go out into all the world, to Jew and to Gentile, to those near and far with the good news of Jesus Christ. Friends, let's not sit around and stare up. Let's not expect Jesus to do what we want at our beck and call. No, no. The mechanics of the spiritual life, friends, are that the Lord calls us. We don't call him. He calls us. And today he's still looking for people. The ascended Christ who sits in power and bestows the Holy Spirit on those who follow him is still looking for people who are ready and willing to go out and to be witnesses and to not just sit around and be comfortable and look up. People who are ready to do his work in the world. May we be people so inspired, so moved by the courage that can only come from him to be his witnesses here and to the outermost edges of the earth.